Anglican. Today's Bible reading is from Psalm 19. And so, if you would want to read that along with me. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, and than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By then your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me, then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, let's turn to God now to pray as we think about this wonderful psalm, as you do your series on psalms, Psalm 19. Let me pray. Thank you, Father, that you are a personal God, not a silent God, but a God who speaks. And we thank you again. We can hear you speak to us this, this morning, today, in your word through this psalm. So please open our ears to hear your word, open our eyes to see the Lord Jesus, and open our hearts to receive what you have for us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I didn't ask to be a convert. I didn't seek the Lord. This word conversion is simply too tame and too refined to capture the train wreck that I experienced in coming face to face with the living God. I know of only one word to describe this encounter. Impact. Impact is, I believe, the time between the multiple car crash and the body count. Anyone who describes their coming to Christ as being like that kind of car crash body count impact is, is somebody's story I've got to read. Her name is Rosaria Butterfield. She was a professor of literature, English literature, at Syracuse University in New York State. Uh, she came out in 28 as a, as a lesbian and lived with a lesbian partner. And she was at the hub of the gay community in Syracuse. 
But one day she met a pastor, his name was Ken. He and his wife had her around for dinner, she was impressed by them, and they gave her a Bible, and she said she'd read it. She loved books, so she read the Bible. For two years, voraciously, sometimes up to five hours a day, she read the Bible for two years. For me, the most poignant moment in her story was Thursday night in their weekly gathering in her house of the gay lesbian community. She had a friend there, she just called him Jay. He was transgender, he'd been a man, he was transgendering into a woman. And in the kitchen he said to Rosaria, Rosaria, we are worried about you. All this Bible reading is changing you. And she said to Jay, what would you say if I told you that I'm beginning to believe that Jesus Christ is real? A real and living and judging Lord and I'm in big trouble. And Jay held her hands and looked her in the eye and said to her, Rosaria, I know that Jesus is a real and living Lord. For 15 years I was a Presbyterian minister. And during that time I prayed the Lord would heal me. He didn't, but maybe he'll heal you. I'll pray for you. Her story is an amazing testimony to God's grace, the power of God's grace, and the power of God's word. I want to look with you at this marvellous Psalm 19, a wonderful reminder of God, the power and the beauty of God's words. C.S. Lewis said about this psalm, I take this to be the greatest psalm in the Psalter, in the book of Psalms, and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. Well, to put that in more contemporary terms, if Queen had Bohemian Rhapsody and the Rolling Stones had Satisfaction, Psalm 19 is David's greatest hit, according to C.S. Lewis. It's a psalm in three parts or three stanzas. Part one, the silent thunder of God's words, verses one to six. Part two, the sweet words of God, verses 7 to 11. And part 3, the speech of God's servant, verses 12 to 14. So let's hear the voice of God. And first of all, the silent voice of God. David looks to the, star, the sky and the stars, and he says every day they preach a sermon. But the problem is, we become deaf to that sermon. As I said, I spent years in Pakistan, and we lived uh, in, in town, surrounded by mosques, and every day, five times, from morning till night, came the sound of the minaret, the, the loudspeaker blaring out the call to prayer. And often there could be ten mosques around your house. It was just a cacophony of calls to prayer. But over the years, like being next to a train line, or a flight path, or a busy road, after a while, you block it out, and you don't hear that anymore. You just, it's, you become immune to it. And we can do that with creation. We just stop hearing it speak to us. David says it speaks. Look at the words he uses. They declare. They proclaim. Speech. Knowledge. So when he says in verse 3, 
There's no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. He's not saying, let's look, see how useless creation is. You learn nothing from it. No, he's saying, while there's no audible sound, the message is loud and clear. And David looks at one feature of this creation, and that's the sun. And if he was wowed by the sun, we know so much more about the sun, we find it even more incredible. The sun is, as you may know, 150 million kilometers from Earth. And from that vast distance, it radiates 400 million, million, million watts of energy. In other words, every second, it radiates a million times more energy than all of America does in a year, every second. It's stunning. And David is blown away by it. It's like, he says, I love this picture, it's like the groom coming from his bridal chamber. Can you picture that on his, after his wedding night? He's a very happy camper. Well, that's the sun, just beaming in glory at its creator. And verse 6, it rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. In other words, the whole earth, our whole country, Australia, is overwhelmed by the glory of God in creation. From the urban jungle to Sydney and Melbourne, to the, uh, the Flinders Ranges, the Dandenong, the Blue Mountains, the Pilbara, along the Murray, the Murrumbidgee, even the world-famous Muller Creek. It all shows forth the glory of the Creator. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says that people don't hear the voice of creation, but not because that voice is too soft or too muddled or muted or too confusing. The voice of God in creation, he says, the truth is plain to them, but they refuse to hear. They cover their ears. They suppress the truth. They become deaf, like I did to the call of the minaret, like you do to a busy train line or highway or flight path. There's a lovely poem by a man called Gerhard Frost. We sat together, this tall man and a tiny child, before the fireplace. Enthralled with this, her first, and looking up at me, she said, It's clapping. I would have said, it's crackling, and so would you, victims of the dulling years. But who is right? Who has really heard? Can fire praise by crackling? No, she's the one who has found the word. It's clapping. Praise the Lord. Did you hear the creation as you got up this morning? See the sun shining in adoration to its maker? The trees and the grass swimming, as uh, swaying in praise to God? The flower showing forth his beauty, his glory? Did you see it? That's why I think the people of Australia have no excuse. 
They see day by day the symphony of praise in creation and close their eyes and ears. They see the stars and open their horoscopes and entrust their lives to them. They see a mountain and then worship the spirit of the mountain. Or see a tree, a lovely tree, and carve an idol. Or see men and women made in God's image and idolize them. So friends, I want to challenge you. At least once a day, stop, look, listen at creation, and give God the glory. It's breathtakingly beautiful. Well, in the second stanza, David now turns to the voice of God we're more familiar with, the one found in Scripture. Verse 7. The law of the Lord, he says, is perfect. Now, because both voices, both creation and Scripture, sing duet. They sing in perfect harmony. They sing the same song to God's glory. Like that wonderful old hymn, How Great Thou Art. How's it begin? O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world thy hand has made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. You see there? The voice of creation. Then the song says, But when I think that God his son not sparing sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. You see? The voice of scripture. Then they both come together in the wonderful chorus, Then sings my soul, my saviour God to thee, How great thou art! How great thou art! And David has six parallel expressions to describe God's written word. It's the instruction, the testimony, the precepts, the command, the fear of the Lord, the ordinances. Now he's referring primarily to the law of Moses, but these words apply to the, to the whole Bible. Then six words which describe the wonder of this word. It's perfect. It's trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, reliable. Then four terms to describe the life-changing impact of this word. Renewing one's life. Making the inexperienced wise. Making the heart glad. Making the eyes light up. Remember those days? When scripture thrilled you? I have a friend in Dapto. You all know him. His name is Henry Boardman. Henry is a Dapto legend. <laughs> Henry and I were in youth group together years ago, with about the time that Noah came off the ark. Now, I remember an event. Henry may recall this. I'm not trying to embarrass you, Henry, but I remember one time driving with Henry, and he came into a, just a fresh experience of God's grace and power, which was so excited. And he said to me, Mike, I can't stop reading the Bible. I can't get enough of the Bible. I've never forgotten that. That's the mark of a truly, wonderfully converted person. They just come alive in a way they hadn't done before to God's word. Then David has two wonderful expressions or examples 
to describe the incomparable worth of God's word. It's worth more, he says, than much fine gold. I wear some gold on my finger. It's a little bit of gold. Here in the Bible is worth more than tons and tons of gold. He'd give the whole world away, all he has, for this word, this Bible. And to catch the joy of reading it, it's like his most luscious, tastiest food for him, the sweetness of a honey from a honeycomb. For my wife, it's melt-in-your-mouth mint chocolate. It may be for you, fine champagne pork ribs, lobster. For me, it's luscious lychees. And what does this word do for us? You see, reading the Bible isn't an end in itself. I love the Bible because of who it points me to. The writer John Piper says, I love the Bible the way I love my eyes. I don't love my eyes because they're lovely, but because they show me lovely things. And I love the Bible because it shows me the Lord Jesus in all his loveliness, all his beauty and grace and kindness and compassion and power and wisdom. I love the Bible because it shows me me, my sin, and my need for grace and compassion. I love the Bible because it shows me the kind of life that God wants you to live, the kind of life that pleases him. So you see, friends, the songs we learned as children were right. Jesus loves me, this I know, For the Bible tells me so. The best book to read is the Bible. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Finally, after singing about how God speaks to him through creation and the Bible, David now speaks to God. And he's reminded of the greatest work of all that God does in his life through his word. He said that God's word renews his life, makes him wise, gladdens his heart, lights up his life. How does he do that? In verse 12, David asks God to cleanse him from his sins. And there are two kinds of sins. Those hidden sins, sins we do, but we're almost unaware of. I have a friend, a pastor of a church, a large church in Sydney. He said to me some years ago, people from my church come to me for counsel and help with their problems, things they're struggling with. Might be their marriage, might be things at work, relationships, all the things they're struggling with. And there are many things they struggle with. But he said, in all my years here, probably 25, 30 years, he served a very big church. He said, Mike, no one has ever said to me, Ray, I'm struggling with greed. So how can that be? In a world awash with materialism, where we just want to get, get, get more possessions, where shopping is a pastime, and all our Lord says to warn us against greed, 
Nobody, not one, in 25 years in a large church, not one, struggles with greed. How, how can that be? Well, it can't be. It's, it's our great hidden sin. We're blind to it. But even scarier are the willful, deliberate sins, things we know that God despises. I've been reading lately in my quiet times Proverbs. Oh, it's been fantastic. In chapter 6 are these sobering words. The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that plots evil schemes. Feet eager to run to evil. A lying witness who gives false evidence. And one who stirs up trouble among brothers. I find that last one quite, quite sobering. God forbid I ever be the cause of dissension in the church of Jesus Christ. Will keep you from these hidden, willful sins. And David prays for cleansing, innocence. Praise, he won't be counted a rebel. But of course, the sun that strides across the sky magnificently won't tell him how he can be cleansed. The Old Testament can, in a shadow. But Dave will need another word. A word that won't just pronounce forgiveness, but a word that will achieve it. A word that will become flesh and live amongst us. A word that will die upon a cross to bring about that cleansing and that renewal and that new life. A word that will show us in clear detail the life God wants us to live. And that word, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The living and abiding word of God. Well, I want to encourage you today to keep on loving God's word and meditating upon it. A few years ago, my wife, I've got four grown kids, my wife wrote to them and asked them how they were going in their Bible reading. I guess some of their replies were a little bit sheepish and coy and embarrassed. So let me ask you this morning, or tonight, how are you going in your Bible reading? Oh, you say, well, Mike, yeah, I, I, it's important, but I look, life is so busy with this pandemic and with homeschooling and work and commitments and keeping fit. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, I'm just so busy, it's hard to find the time. I know that. But remember again, what this word does in your life. It will revive your soul. It'll make you wise. It will gladden your heart. It will light up your life. So let me close with the way this psalm closes with the prayer of David.
May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen.